0: Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome to, dare I say, what I consider to be a very sacred, sacred conversation that I just had with Eric Davis. He is the director of housing for the St. Francis House, which is a homeless shelter, Um, and Mark Brisbane, who some of our longtime listeners will recognize from a couple episodes, who is somebody who works for us at the Center for Independent Living, uh, working to get people with disabilities into affordable, accessible, and safe housing. Mark, for the longest time, is telling me how I need to connect with Eric Davis. This guy's amazing. He helps Mark with situations in which we get people housed. He gets things done. He's not, as Mark Brisbane might say, full of hummina, hummina, just talking. But he's full of action. And I was just saying we needed to connect. And on this interview is the first time I met Eric. And I got to say, like, from from jump, uh, I felt like I had known him my whole life. I don't know what other uh, thing to say because as you will hear in this conversation, he is an open book. He is authentic. He uh, is very heartfelt. He talks to us about what it's like to have schizophrenia, what it's like to, to be addicted, uh, to be challenged with mental health conditions, and what it's like— to overcome those situations and to be transformed by those situations and to be an incredible human being whose mission in life is to maximize service to other people. And, And especially in the arena of affordable housing and working with people who were challenged through the same things that he was experiencing, mental health, addiction. And so in this interview that we have, you know, we go in on everything I just mentioned there, but he also talks about the importance of making the issue of homelessness something that really resonates with all people, how everyone can find themselves in a situation where they're homeless and it gets into the humanity of all of this. How, for those that might be listening, might not understand homelessness or have ever met anyone that's homelessness, he brings a certain level of humanity to this conversation to make it more relatable for those of us that may not have the experiences that he has. He talks about some of the causes of homelessness, adverse childhood experiences, and just how important of an issue this is that we all need to be heeding and taking seriously and getting into. I really appreciate this conversation, how he really uh, opens the conversation and talking about schizophrenia in a way that... um, is spiritual, in, in, in so many aspects. Like he talks about the divine and the grace, and uh, I I really really appreciate that conversation. Uh, I think for some that's a, you know can be a hard conversation to have or, or hear, but I think it's essential in this conversation because it is just such a part of who he is. He shares his vision of a better day in terms of addressing uh, the affordable housing issues uh, that are, you know, I think is a very innovative solution to it. And this is part one. Uh, this interview was so good that, what I did not go into this interview intending this to be a two-part episode, but uh, just felt compelled uh, in this conversation to say, we got to break this into two parts, because A, the length, uh, but B, he's got so much to share. We just really went very deep very wide. So enjoy part one of our interview with Eric Davis accompanied by our own Mark Brisbane. Hello everyone and welcome to the Independent Life Podcast. I'm super pumped on this episode. I'm with our friend of the show, Mark Brisbane, who, uh, if you're a regular listener, have heard a few times. Welcome, Mark. And we're with Eric Davis. Good to be here, Tom. Thank you. We're with Eric Davis. He is the Director of Housing for the St. Francis House. We're going to get into a whole lot of issues pertaining to housing and and see where this conversation takes us. Eric, it's a wonderful uh, honor to have you on to our podcast.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. Like I said, uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be here, and I'm grateful for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, Mark has talked about you know, how instrumental you've been with uh, his efforts in helping our consumers to get uh, affordable and accessible housing, and just you know, how you're a wonderful problem solver, and you connect dots, and you do all these wonderful things, which I, I fully want to get into. But uh, before we do, I think it would be really great if you uh, introduced yourself to our listeners
1: sure so um i believe that it's important for people with my background to talk openly um about where we come from where we are and where we're going and and i think that is an important and i like to preface this by saying when i speak here today i'm speaking on behalf of my individual experience i'm not speaking or endorsing anything on behalf of saint francis house um, but i can share my experience so i am someone who <clears throat> struggled a long time with severe mental health. I actually ended up uh, being uh, labeled diagnosed um, uh, schizophrenic and was given disability. Um, I was also in a bad accident when I was in my late teens and ended up being prescribed to Oxycontin and found myself from dependence to an addict. And so I have co-occurring diagnoses. I understand firsthand. I have a lot of lived experience. And through the grace of uh, a power greater than myself, I've been able to take the suffering that I endured and turn it into um, a tool and use it for good. And I understand firsthand the struggles of many of the people that we serve are going through because I lived it myself. And I feel that gives me a unique perspective that can't be taught or or uh, red, it's something that you have to live. But also um, I've been doing this from a professional perspective going on half a decade. And I feel that um, I'm pretty good at what I do. And like I said, I just, uh, I'm grateful to be here today. So that's it. Well, that's
0: the school of life, right? Like you can't, you were mentioning, you can't learn all this, you know, in a, in a brick and mortar kind of building, you gotta go live life. So So maybe speaking from those lived experiences, um, how how would you describe what it's like to have schizophrenia to to people that you know don't uh, you know have it themselves or or know anybody in their own life? What's it like?
1: So, you know, early on, uh, one of the greatest um, kind of analogies I've ever seen is the movie Lucy. I don't know if any of you seen it with Scarlett Johansson, where she unlocks a hundred percent of her brain, and it's kind of um an existential trippy psychedelic type movie but also it gives a little bit of insight and when I watched that for the first time a number of years ago I thought wow this is probably the closest thing I've seen to describing some experiences that I dealt with but ultimately for me when I was young it was just the way that I would process information the way that I would perceive life and often I found that the way I was perceiving things were different than most people a lot of times I felt like what I was receiving was kind of sensory overload, and when I would try to share um, what was going on mentally uh, and in my life, it was immediately met with a lot of fear, a lot of misunderstanding, and then people wanting to um, kind of put me in a box, um, diagnose me, um, uh, discount what I was feeling, what I was going through, what I was saying, and I felt were um, kind of ostracizing me and labeling me and not wanting me to participate in life, but um, that is kind of it in a nutshell. And also I did deal with some uh, of the common things, auditory and visual um, hallucinations, um, dealing with a lot of time voices and stuff like that. But more so than that, it was, a lot of the stuff i was describing was just the way that i was perceiving and, and taking in information Um, and kind of like also it, it can sound a little strange but a lot of times the stuff that i was experiencing would feel like the veil had been lifted and i was kind it was kind of being divinely led Um, wow. but again the the sensory overload to what i was taking in i would want to share this genuine amazement that I was experiencing and want to share it with others. And when I would do that, it would be met with a lot of fear a lot of times because people didn't have that same experience and that same perspective. And so it was like, wow, um, there's something wrong with you. And then I begin to internalize that and I believed it. And then I actually ended up succumbing to being a victim of my own circumstance and, and kind of a prisoner of my own volition. Instead of realizing, you know what? In the end, this can be a gift or a curse. It's what I choose to acknowledge and work towards. And so um, that's what I'd like to say about that.
0: Wow. How would you say then that you took this and turned it into a gift? Like, how did that happen?
1: So it would be arrogant for me to say that I did it by myself. Uh-huh. Uh, I feel that I have um, kind of been given an opportunity to be where I am. Um, for good, meaning, what part of that was I always sensed kind of the ineffable, like I was like, there's something out here that is beyond words. And that power that has brought me here to have in this conversation with you now had sustained me, had forgiven me, had kind of um, allowed me to kind of question my own existence. And why is it that I was still here? And then I came to the realization that it was to, to help others since i was young i always looked to change agents throughout history and that's who i idolized i looked at the kennedys i looked at the black panther party abraham lincoln tupac shakur i looked at gandhi and mother Teresa. i looked at these people who pushed back against the status quo and ultimately ended up uh losing their life kind of for what martyrs in a way Mm. Um, and not that i want to be a martyr i want to uh, i have a simple prayer that i say ultimately and it's like let me become of maximum service to to you and the people and so i feel like uh, the reason that i'm here is to serve and i feel like that's why i'm so effective at what i do because i am operating from a place of light and of love i genuinely just love people and i find people fascinating and uh, i just i yeah. always have and so i continue to try to operate from first and foremost the place of humanity and i feel like spirit recognizes spirit and other people can sense that and also i always like to tell people if you ever want to get an understanding of my character my integrity speak to the people that we serve uh, speak to the people that we serve don't listen to what other people may say go speak to them firsthand
0: those who receive know so how is schizophrenia strength like from your experience it kind of sounds like you're it's like a super spiritual kind of way of seeing reality and uh that you allow that to flow through you in a way that like you mentioned grace at the beginning of this and and it's like i've been thinking a lot about grace recently and it's interesting that you bring it up but i almost feel like this is a grace for you you know and that you have used this as a superpower to to connect with others and see a calling that is bigger than yourself.
1: Yes, and uh, I'll give you a, a, a one example that pops into mind. So when I was in an altered state of consciousness that the Western medical model will call uh, schizophrenia or delusion, Um, I remember being up and kind of fasting, drinking water and and communing uh, with, I like to call God a great mystery. I believe we all swim in uh, different rivers, but it leads to one ocean. And so (laughs) I don't pretend to think, and I think it's arrogant for me to think, I know the mind of God over another. I think we all have our own understanding. And the way I like to give that analogy is uh, science and medicine have proven that we all have different color spectrums right? There's no two alike in the world. So me, you, and Mark can be looking at one vehicle. I can see black, you can see navy blue, Mark can see forest green. We're all looking at the same thing, but we're all seeing something differently. I like to give that analogy when looking at how we understand a power greater than ourselves, God, Mm. or whatever uh, uh, name we like to call call God by. So I was sitting there one night on my couch. Um, of course, my family was worried about me. Um, you know, the police had been there multiple times trying to baker act me, but um I, I was very peaceful and and kind of surrendered and accepted that uh, you know, this this is something that was being divinely led. And, I remember just questioning because I've done that too. I, I just questioned the questions, and then I found myself just <laughs> I love that. of of you know uh, nothingness because it's just uh, a, a circle, like a snake eating its tail. So, I was sitting there on the couch, and I said, "You know, God, I want to know your face. Show me your face." And uh, the visual that I was given were people, uh, people that I never had seen before, people I've never seen since. And they were just people of every race, creed, color, religion. And it was like a flash of like, and they were just all people. And I thought, wow, that is really neat. And um, one time I was laying in bed and I heard a voice call to me and it said, Eric, get up and write. So I got up and I just started writing. And I didn't know what I was writing, it was just pouring out of me. And I had a pen and I got to the 25th page and my ink pen died on the 25th page so because I was in that altered state of consciousness that we call schizophrenia I ended up being up the next day and that second night I began to write again and um, I said okay and as I was writing before I knew it my ink pen died and I looked down and it was on the 25th page again so now I'm starting to blow my own mind and I'm like okay wow this is starting to be I'm I'm starting to get a little <laughs> afraid here uh-huh. and so I told myself if this happens I'm I'm just I'm done and so that third night the ink pen died again and it was on page 25 and um I look at numbers I know numerology is something that the sages and and people in every walk of life and every philosophy and religion have studied since the dawn of man but yeah my my pages died on 25 if we do two and five that's seven 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 on the third day so i just look at the numbers that are considered holy and i thought wow and that is also when i asked to see the face of god and what was revealed to me and so these are only my experiences and i think one thing that falls short in the human experience is we're truly not able to give our own experiences to another human being the best we can do is what I'm doing here with you today. And that's just speaking from my experience um, and what I went through. But those are uh, a few examples of what I can give you.
0: I'm so into everything that you're saying. Um, When you asked to see the face of God and you you saw those different faces of people, it reminds me of uh, Mother Teresa was once known for saying that she sees uh, the face of Jesus in all its distressed forms through the people she encounters each and every day. And so that really resonates with me, that you're seeing you know, what the you know, face of God through all the different people and all the different situations and all the different ways that that can manifest. And, um, you know, it strikes me how um, acceptable it would be for you to share everything that you're sharing here in terms of, say, um, a minister— you know, saying, I was called to serve God and explained it in the exact same way that you explained it. You know, and, and I feel like that would be universally acceptable and not deemed as like being abnormal. I also feel like if you were, you know, saying everything that you were saying uh, related to writing and, and, and a lot of things, like, well, that's the way of the artist. Artists, you know, open themselves up to the muse and the muse works through them and, and all these other kind of things happen and how normalized. Uh, that would be in, in, in articulating yourself in certain circles. But then, like you're alluding to, I think, as you open this up, when you share this with other people, there's fear. Um, people are worried about it, um, may see you as wrong. You know, you're talking about being at peace and here come the cops. So where, where is it that people get this wrong about, like, schizophrenia, at least the way you've experienced in, in your own life and, and what causes all this fear and misunderstanding?
1: I think the thing that really frustrates me is when I see the news and I see these mass shootings and I see these horrid, horrendous crimes, or as many people would say, evil. And and many times what I hear uh, alluded to every time or most every time is mental health. Hmm. schizophrenia. He was hearing what he was seeing things. And I thought that's so strange because out of all of my years of um, through my suffering, not once was I ever violent, you know, not once did I ever get arrested for, for being violent. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I thought that's, you know, that's a common misunderstanding. And I also remember going through, uh, when I first really turned my life around and before I had started working, I was still drawing a disability check and I really wanted to be a father. Um, I had had a son and I was there, I was physically present. Um, but I, but I was not the person I am today. And um, I, I knew one of the things I really wanted to learn to do was be an amazing father to my son. And so I started to, to say, like, okay, um, you know, wanted to learn about rights. And I learned in the state of Florida, if your child is born, um, and you're not married, the mother is the biological parent. In fact, the father is is nothing. And when I tell people that they say, oh, that's not right, I say, um, go speak to an attorney. I spoke I spoke to uh, a couple of them in the state of Florida if you are not married and you have a child even if I did sign the social security card and his birth certificate I'm not acknowledged as his biological parent the mother is so then I had to uh, go and talk to people about okay I need an attorney well I didn't have ten thousand dollars right I'm a recovering addict I'm someone who struggled with mental health I'm drawn a disability I say you know what I'm watch. Went down to the courthouse. Um, I was asked to establish paternity. They gave me a packet of paperwork that uh, was as thick as uh, any text. And it was overwhelming. The language that was used was, uh, in my humble opinion, made to, but I didn't, because ultimately I realized I didn't come this far to be dropped off here. And so what I did is I went to court and I sat in a courtroom in front of a judge and I told him, diagnosed schizophrenic, not on medication, recovering addict, um, drawing disability, I don't have a job, but I'll tell you why you should let me be a father. And even the judge was kind of taken aback by that and said you probably shouldn't have told me all that and i said well why not i don't want it to be weaponized and used against me i want you to see me for who i am who i was who i am uh today and it's not the same person and uh started out with two hours supervised with my parents and now i have split custody of my son congratulations and my father thank you wow
0: so- so, uh, you know, it's interesting how um, when I asked, you know, where do we get it all wrong? And, you know, you went to the news. I'd even add probably media and in, in fictionized, you know, kind of stories and stuff like that. Um, and, and that's been one thing that's kind of um, alarmed me a little bit about how stigmatized mental health is, is. When we have these high profile crimes or mass shootings and et cetera you know, there is really, in, when people look at the research, there's not like a, a, a significant association of, of certain diagnosable mental illnesses and the likelihood of, of committing any of these like mass shootings or crimes or violence, um, including schizophrenia, um, where these people obviously aren't um, thinking super rationally or logically, yes, but it doesn't mean that they have a mental health diagnosis. Oftentimes, like what's being shown is that they're emotionally, you know, very distraught. And it's through these very viral reactive emotions um, that oftentimes people are finding themselves not making very good decisions that are abhorrent. And, And oftentimes, you know, I think like people are just saying, well, mentally, you know, mental health, mental health, mental health. Obviously not thinking probably too clearly, but at the same time, not sure there's a causational association with a diagnosed mental health condition and the likelihood of any of these other, you know, kind of things that are being so highlighted in the news. Yeah. So Mark, I I want to bring you into this conversation. We've we've covered a lot of ground here. What are some of what's circulating there inside your head, man?
2: I just, with Eric, Tony, I, you know, this is your first introduction. Um, Me and Eric partnered up uh, at his previous position. I, I, this guy here, he is a blessed man. I, I have to say that um, he doesn't take credit for things he does. But I, I've found through working with Eric and dealing with consumers, folks that are in the homeless community, he's just got a knack, man. He can. I've called on him before. I know I aggravated the life out of him, <laughs> but he just stays humble and and uh, he's like, yeah, man. I, I know this, you know, property manager, yada yada, and gets it all linked up. I, I mean you know, there's one consumer, I'm not going to use his name, that has a son. I mean, both of them are really physically have severe disabilities, um, especially the dad, you know, is taking care of his son. I mean, and all the, the times that I've been, and I'm touching on housing connected with Eric, folks I've gotten places to live, Eric got the Taj Mahal for this father and son. He just happened to to awesome. know someone he made it happen and it was like it was so slow in the process once we got him you know a voucher through uh, a Gainesville housing authority once Eric took the reins it was like snap snap he's got favor on him and I see that yeah. um and there's a lot of people that respect him I, I I love my relationship working relationship my friendship with Eric Davis um I know I can call him on him and he he's going to do his, his very best to help me um, and help that person out. You can see that he does have a heart for what he does. It's just not, hey, you know, I'll see what I can do, and I'll catch up with you later. <laughs> no, he follows up with you, um, and if he can make it happen, he'll make it happen. If he can't, he, he's, it's no gray area. It's either black or white. Eric tell you, hey, I, I can't. There's nothing I can do. I mean, I don't have anything right now. Um, Something comes up, I'll let you know type thing. I I just feel honored and I'm being, being honest to to have been able to connect with him uh, as well as Mark Watson, but uh, me and Eric, uh, we, we tag team pretty good. So I know if I run into a really tough patch, he's gonna, he's got something he's gonna help me get out of it.
0: Yeah, Eric, we we're we're definitely about the uh, walking the walk and uh, not just talking the talk. Mark Mark often says, I just I don't need a lot of humma humma. You know, I just need to get the things done. And, yeah, man. Yeah. I get
2: I I guess it's my patience. Yeah. I don't give humma humma from Eric Davis. Uh-huh. It's just I know when I talk to him, there there's no gray area. It's either yes I can or no I can't. So um, and then we move forward. But most I would say on on a ratio, ninety percent, yes, I can. Ten percent, I can't, because Eric has made a lot of connections, and I'm not Eric, I'm not trying to, you know, talk, you know, put words in your mouth. But he just he's he's really got out there and made a lot of connections with people, and that that, that's a good thing. Well,
0: as as like Eric Eric said before, you know. Don't, don't listen to what he has to say, you know, uh, listen to the people that receive. And, and you're, uh, you're receiving because he's helping you um, be able to provide the resources and services that you're looking for, you know, because we got to come together united to be able to serve the kind of people that we have uh, um, that we've been charged with serving. Eric, Mark, I think, provided a really good uh, on-ramp to kind of get into the area of housing and, and how you're helping people, you know, homelessness and et cetera. But maybe if you could explain how you got into this area of service and perhaps also explaining the type of people you work so hard to serve. I love how you said earlier, uh, that prayer that you said to yourself about maximum service. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, like, if you could describe the type of service that you provide and the type of people that that service goes towards that that would probably help us out.
1: Sure. So I kind of um, really stumbled into working uh, with people experiencing homelessness by accident, meaning um, originally I had gone back to to college there at Jacksonville University uh, and went through a summer uh, number of months there in the summer of 2017, where I was going to and did uh, get my certification, I was going to get my licensure to be a certified recovery peer specialist. And that awesome. is to take my experience, strength and hope and give back to those who are still suffering. And uh, because of the wreckage of my past, because mistakes I had made when I was a teenager, um, I had uh, something that prevented me from moving forward. Uh, in fact, uh, this one service provider, two different departments hired me you know but because they get certain funding and stuff they uh, have to abide by and that whole jazz and so I I was in a stumbling block where I had to go through an exemption process through Tallahassee that ended up taking a little over a year well in my frustration that coincided with um me feeling like uh, society was not going to let me be a father here I was 18 months um, of a changed life coming up on two years I'm trying to do everything society's asking of me. i um, trying to, you know, get a job, get off disability, be a father, do the things that society says, you know, they want us to do. At least that—that that was my um, perspective. And I was at a point where um, 51% of me wanted to keep going, but 49% of me wanted to give up. And I wanted to go back to being a victim and of my own circumstances. Um, you know, kind of uh, imprisoned within my own spirit and, and a, a prisoner of my own volition Um, in a perpetual cycle of what I consider hell, you know, which was um, uh, active addiction for me. But I was sharing about it like I do openly and honestly. And I had a gentleman uh, who I like to give a shout out to right here. His name is Jeff Groover. Pulled me aside after a meeting one day and said, Hey, man, I hear you talking. And I've I've watched you now for a while. I think you'd be a great fit. Why don't you go apply over here? And so I did. That was in the summer of 2018. And where did you apply to? Uh, Grace Marketplace. Okay. And I ended up um, starting out as an advocate there. And then I was promoted to lead advocate, Um, got employee of the month within three months there, as well as that first promotion. I ended up, uh, my next position was uh, outreach and engagement specialist helping to close Dignity Village. I then went on to become a housing specialist. Got another promotion um and then ended up being the housing locator actually the position was created for me um again the vision that jeff groover had and shout out to uh john de carmine as well for for giving jeff that that autonomy and that freedom and, and then passing that down to me basically i ended up getting three promotions and, and i did five positions um when i think about it i guess they technically say a promotion's a pay raise so I did change pay rates three times. And I thought about that last night. So it just, like I said, I, I you know, we have a saying is you know, uh, don't leave before the miracle happens, and um you know, be on your wildest dreams. I used to hear cliches like this, and I'd think that doesn't that that doesn't apply to me. You know, and here I am um, a diagnosed schizophrenic and a recovering opiate addict, and I'm now a director of a social service provider. In the housing department. So if that's not a power greater than myself, I don't know what is. But what I ended up doing when I was given the position of housing locator and diversion specialist, I looked at the reality. First day on the job, I'm thinking, okay, let's play this tape through, so I can find property managers, uh, management companies, and private owners that will work with us to serve our demographic. Great, with the fair market rents being the way that they are, when I took over that position in uh 2020 and that was before covid right before um which we all know where it's housing fair market rents all that is not keeping pace with what people get paid and living alone is a luxury most people cannot afford so then i was confronted with great uh even if i Fine places one bedrooms are now 900 a thousand dollars mm-hmm. the majority of the demographic we serve are on a very fixed income yep. so I immediately do what I do and that's not taking no for an answer and focusing on the solution so what can I do I can take a business model that already exists and I can apply it and create a niche in the marketplace and that's what I've done and I've also gotten out and I'm up to I don't know probably 30 properties with over 10 owners and you talked about Mother Teresa, I actually was getting my acupuncture because I've taken a more holistic, a more Eastern approach to, to my recovery. I was getting acupuncture, getting uh, herbs. Uh, I was seeing a doctor at Eastern Medicine, and I was laying there with the needles in my arms and uh, getting some physical therapy on, on my feet, and I look over at a picture on the wall, and I say, hey, Scott, is that you with Mother Teresa? And nonchalant, like it was nothing, didn't skip a beat. He just looked at me and goes, yeah, we were good friends. (laughs) Wow. And in that moment, I said to myself, I'm going to get to know this guy. Uh And to this day, I have eight properties set up with this gentleman. Um, He also considers me someone like a son was his own words. And uh, just feeling so grateful. And also a shout out to Maxine Campbell, um, who I'm going to have lunch with after this just beautiful people that have bought into uh, my vision and and given me the trust. um, Well, allowed me to earn their trust. And so what I've done is I've gone in, we um, set up properties a certain way and it allows people to individually lease parts of a property, uh, whereas they wouldn't be able to afford that property. But what it does is my vision is to create a pseudo family environment, set up homes that are homes, they're not moving from homelessness with all the trauma of in and of itself, homelessness is a traumatic event, poverty, not to mention compound with all the other trauma that life brings to the human experience. I want them to acclimate and give them the autonomy and the freedom to choose how they want to dictate their life once they're into the home. And so what I do is I look at it as if I were there and I would set up these homes where I would wanna live with my son and so these properties are beautiful um, and they come fully furnished they have high-speed internet streaming or cable water trash and the person has to focus on one bill they don't have to focus on the rigors of life eventually they will but i want them to acclimate and just have to focus on one bill wow i've taken this and i've expanded upon it i'm in different counties My vision really would be to continue to do this work and see uh, what the great mystery has in store, because I couldn't have written where I'd be today. But what I'd like to do is eventually continue to expound upon this model to where I can get it, to where I can eventually take this city, county, state, nation, who knows, worldwide, and be able to uh, teach municipalities and, and, and private nonprofits and whoever wants to listen. Um, You want to hire me out, cut me loose, or you just want me to train people three months in the city. Fine. Watch what I do. Um, It it can be I can say it. I can verbalize it. But really, it's something that it's kind of to synthesize. This magic would be more difficult than to just allow it to happen organically. That that is my dream. My dream is to now to create affordable housing. It was to just for people experiencing homelessness, but this thing has morphed into my time at Grace. I housed, ele- there was 11 staff housing placements, including a manager of the vet dorm and a director. So what this has morphed into is just creating affordable housing spaces for human beings. It's and, a beautiful uh, that's visit, Eric. Thank you.
0: How would you explain the issues related to affordable housing? Um, to people that uh, may not be so familiar in in depth uh, to the issues about it as uh, you are like you you and Mark and uh, eat, drink, breathe, sleep this issue. It's probably very <clears throat> apparent to you what the issue is. But imagine um, you know somebody that isn't as uh, expertise in the area of uh, affordable housing. How would you explain what the issue is?
1: So, there's a number of barriers typically that are associated to uh, taking people from being unhoused to housed, and one of the main ones that pops into my mind immediately is moving costs. Um, I heard something on NPR: uh, 68% of America doesn't have $500 in savings. Wow! So when we talk about first, last, and security yeah. you know, I don't know if they come up with these statistics. Sure. I'm only parroting what yeah. I heard but most people don't have first last security. And when we're talking about currently the fair market value for studios or one bedrooms and certain zip codes, because it breaks down by the zip code and a lot of people don't know that for fair markets, but certain zip codes here over $1,100. I know people who are paying uh, 1,800 for a two, two. In fact, I know one person that I work with now who's paying $2,000 for a two bedroom, two bathroom in the city of Alachua. Wow. Now, When we say $15 is a livable wage, it sounded like it when we went back uh, two, three years ago, when this was on the forefront of a lot of folks' minds, uh, including when Grace implemented it as um, their minimum wage. But the point is, is, If we look at what even $15 is an hour after taxes and you factor in trying to even pay the fair market value for a one bedroom and then add on to the fact that people have children Hmm. in many single parent homes, um, it makes it extremely difficult. And the other difficult thing is um, I think one thing we fail to do as a society is look at the systemic issues that cause people to become homeless in the first place and begin to take accountability that we as service providers can actually perpetuate people's helplessness. And then I have to also question and check my own motive and ego at times. And am I truly helping this person or am I just making myself feel better that I did something positive by helping someone uh, in their homelessness. Wow. And so we have to begin to look at the systemic issues and, and begin to focus on things like education, empowering people, giving people the tools to not allow them to be defined by them circumstances and their self-limiting belief systems through intergenerational trauma and school-to-prison pipeline and poverty. The government has told me, take this check, don't participate in society. And that's genuinely what I accepted. And uh, there was times where I didn't think I'd be 30 years old. And here I am. I just turned 40 this year. So those barriers are there. Also, traumatic brain injury, developmental disabilities, elderly people. We as a society, and I was guilty of this too, think, oh, we have safeguards in place. Hospitals don't just drop people off at homeless shelters that are deaf and blind and 82 years old. Yes, they do. And unless they have really good private insurance or really wealthy relatives, guess what? they remain in homelessness. And if it's not for me sitting there that first day on the job and saying, I'm not taking no for an answer, we're going to create a solution. Because without creating these spaces, this is what I would have to tell people. Sorry, you don't make enough money. So what you're telling me is I'm going to have to remain in homelessness? Correct. No, not on my watch. And so that that is where my focus has been. The traumatic brain injury is a real thing, and also that can mimic things that people think are drug-induced psychosis or elsewise, but really what it is, is that person is suffering. And then we got to talk about the untreated mental health, and people want to, as you alluded to earlier, Tony, um, stigmatize uh, and, and demonize people with mental health. They are suffering. Yeah. They are suffering and they're doing the best they know how. And we also learn to embrace neurodiversity mm-hmm. and we want everyone to fit neatly into a box. We're going to continue to have people uh, experience and remain in homelessness because we as a society, it's not real until it happens to us. Right. But I think many times when people see the people flying the signs or living in tents, we're confronted with our own mortality. And then we operate from a place of fear where, holy shit. Excuse my language, but that could be me. And that is what I do when I serve people. I always say, that can be me. I don't pretend to think that I cannot be the people I serve. And so those are some of the barriers I see. And also just what incentive do we have? To incentivize people on on a on a big level to build affordable housing, we need to give developers tax breaks, we need to incentivize people to want to build these properties, because otherwise what incentive do business people have they're in it to make money. yep so.
0: Bingo. I'm, I'm like taking notes feverishly over here. <laughs> You're giving like gems uh, uh, to think about and to contemplate, Eric. I want to bring you in on Mark on one of the ones that uh, he led off on there um, was that about just most people don't have the funds necessary to even move into a place. So I know, Mark, you've talked often about, you know, we were able to get somebody a housing voucher. Um, mm-hmm. so that, and we f- may find a property, you know, owner and a, in a unit within that to get someone in there. But oftentimes the barrier is that first last, and deposit. Do you, do you have any experiences or thoughts or anything else I, uh, related to that one?
2: I run into it all the time. It's, uh, not so much work partner with, uh, Eric. He, I, I'm sure he deals with it too, but we, we both agree that is the number one hurdle, Tony. It's, um, you know, folks ain't got $2,000 in their bank account. They don't have $500. They're penny pension, And, you know, they're walking with that golden ticket in their hand, going to a property manager, whatever property that may be that accepts that, that mainstream voucher. They sat down in their office and then they're told, look, we need first month, last month, deposits, yada, yada, you know, and they give them a sliding amount across the table to them. You know, it's like these people, their high hopes and their dreams of finally being able to afford a place to live, coming off the streets now, a roof over their head. Now we're not hit another roadblock. Which direction do I go now? Yeah. I'm going to say it to you. It pisses me off so bad because there should be, in in the state of Florida and the, in the uh, uh, county of Alachua, an organization that has X amount of funds, needs to be a large amount that people can go to with that That you know that assistance. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got these things in place, we will help you. Yeah. Here, come to us. we we will take care of you. That type of that entity, and it's very frustrating. A lot of the groundwork that Eric has established that she he's got going on is fantastic. but you know, if Eric's got two or three clients that have a mainstream voucher, Eric, I'm sure, has to be thinking back of his mind. If a certain property manager is not going to accept that voucher and work with them on a payment plan or whatever to pay that deposit, then Eric Davis has got to face that, that hurdle, too. Of where do I get this amount of money to get these people moved in so mm-hmm. they can sell it in? So it, it, it's frustrating, man. It, it is. It's like, golly, it's guaranteed money, man. Damn, just yeah. go ahead and let, let them move in. You're going to get your rent. I mean... And
0: it just seems like it's that one... Like almost, you're there, almost to the finish line, in some ways, mm-hmm. and just to get past that, and you know, move in money, would open the door and potentially change the whole trajectory of these people's lives. Then I'm also even thinking, like you know, the typical things that you uh, people would want to have in their home when they move in, you know, cups, plates, soap, yeah, you know, just those essential little bit of supplies too to be able to get in there. So it goes just beyond. Uh, that voucher that's there. Eric, I think one of the things that might be important too for our listeners would be, um, and you can chime in on this uh, Mark here too. Is um, you know humanizing the people that you serve, you know. So when we talk about homelessness for people that don't work with people who are homeless, um, they might have their own like stereotypes or you know kind of things about uh, who they might be, and you know it's so easy to dehumanize people, see them as just the people on the corner that are you know panhandling and 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 just put them into a box. Um, so for those that don't know people that are homeless or precariously housed or, or whatever it may be, how, how would you help uh, describe and, and maybe give form to the humanity uh, of these people?
1: So my sister could be one. Um, my older sister, Chandra Clipper, lost her uh, battle to the disease of addiction uh, in August of 2019. And she left behind two two boys, my two nephews. Um, She was experiencing homelessness, um, and she had been experiencing homelessness for a while. Um, You know, uh, through the trauma, especially that women can face, um, and the assaults and stuff like that, that they may deal more so than men, um, oftentimes leads people to self-medicate, which is not the healthiest thing. You know, a lot of times as society, we look at people and we say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and it's a matter of willpower. Mm -hmm well science and medicine have proven that this is a disease and until we as a society start looking at people as they have a disease we don't tell people with cancer we don't tell people with aids we don't tell people with diabetes hey man quit having diabetes Mm -hmm. hey man quit having cancer hey man quit having aids we need to find the same compassion and empathy for people struggling with the disease of addiction It is also a a disease spiritual in nature, but it stems from the main fear of I'm not enough.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm not enough. And through that fear, other things happen. I have fear that I'm going to die alone. I have fear that I'm not going to be loved. I have fear that I'm not smart enough. I have fear that I struggle with the imposter demon, that when people figure out what I'm really thinking and who I really am, uh, this will all come tumbling down. But also... uh, we can't put one face to homelessness um i just had a mom who's in her early 20s with a daughter who's close to my son's age sit in my um, office and we were doing case management yesterday and she's a teacher at a christian academy a private school here in this town and she makes thirty four thousand dollars a year she's college educated so you tell me where she's going to find a home with $34,000 before taxes. What, they take about 20%, so you do the math. After that, uh, mid-20s, uh. Uh, after taxes. So the point is, uh, we also need to, to look at, again, I led to this earlier, but what causes people to become homeless in the first place? Most of the time, in my experience professionally, it is trauma, it's early childhood trauma, Adverse childhood experiences, as we call them ACEs, which, you know, if you're a social worker, you understand that acronym. But oftentimes, people turn to unhealthy coping mechanisms because that's what they know, uh, and that's what was modeled for them. And also, I've met some of the most beautiful people serving, experiencing homelessness, and also some of the most beautiful spiritual people when I would be in locked psychiatric hospitals. And I would think, man, society's got it all wrong. These people are gifted, yeah. you know, I'm making broad generalizations again, and I speak from my experience. Um, there's always exceptions to every fact, but um, there's not one face to homelessness. Um, you know, I meet people who have graduate level degrees. In fact, the last year, right before I transitioned from Grace to here, I had a gentleman who had a master's degree in social work, sleeping in his car, experiencing homelessness, working at another service provider here in town. Won't say which, but again, like I said, I housed 11 staff people, one of which was a director. Hello, married director. <laughs> We're talking director level people that are experiencing homelessness. Why? Because they lived in one place in the country for a number of years and found out that the owner didn't pay his tax properties. Uh, so a lien was put on, and the person bought the tax deed. It went through three years in a row, and now the person owns the property. They showed up and said, You got 30 days to leave. And so now they're in a panic. So homelessness can happen to any of us. And until I really start to, to, to address that, and then also things like budgeting, financial literacy. Um, I'm college educated and I'm 40. I'm just now learning this. I just opened a retirement account and life insurance last year. So these are things that I'm learning and I'm trying to attempt to teach them and discuss them with the, with the people we serve. I'm still learning these things and we need to have open conversations. Um, and let people know um, our struggles and our humanity too. And that we don't have this stuff figured out. We're still learning as we go. And it's a lifelong, pro- life is a process uh-huh. and not a destination. Yeah.
0: No finish line to it. Yeah. yeah. No. And beautifully said. And and what I'm taking away out of hearing what you're saying too, is it's like, there's like working poor. People that are poor, they're working Um, It's not a matter of like, gee, I don't have a job and can't afford a house. It's like people that are working and can't afford a house as well. And that, you know, people that, um, that any one of us is subject to being homeless. I think it's a huge one for me. I've, I've encountered a lot of people who never in their wildest dreams ever would have thought that they would be homeless. And then here they are, they're, they're homeless to it. Mark, what do you, what do you have to add to that in terms of really trying to, um, you know, encapsulate the humanity of the people that are experiencing homelessness?
2: Well, one thing I want to say too, is I was told, I never heard it in my life until I had breakfast with my 87-year-old grandpa. And this was last year. He said, each and every one of us is an inch away from being homeless. Because I told him, he asked me what exactly, you know, did I do at the center? And he was asking questions. I said, One of them, the topic was brought up about helping folks in the homeless community get a place to live and, you know, and how it's affected a lot of people. But um, to to touch on what you just asked, Tony, everyone I talk to, I I try to put myself first and foremost in their shoes um, that I pull out that that empathy side of me when I start talking to them because I want them to know firsthand that I care about who they are, where they're at right now, um, what, what what I'm trying to do for them, and where I want them to be at. Um, it, it's, uh, would, trust me, I'm a 56-year-old grown man, and I've been through the rigors, been through some hard times. Um, but it still, you know, it still gets me down. You know, there's nights I'm up late thinking about a person that's either sleeping in a park, especially these women, um, and Eric, he deals with it too, that are homeless, um, sleeping in an apartment with their kids or sleeping in a car with small children. It's unbearable, man. I, I guess that's where my frustration and my anger rises to some people. It's like, what the hell's wrong with y'all? I mean, these people are, quit being bureaucratic about it. I mean, let's figure something out and, you know, quit giving me excuses, let's help this person out. And, That that's just me expressing who I am. You know me. Yeah. yeah. You know you've been my boss eight years, and I, that part of me comes out. I just like man, I ain't got time here. No excuses. Just come on, give me a solution. You know, put yourself. I've talked to people before and told them just like that. Put yourself in their shoes. You know, think about what they're going through. It's a battlefield for me, Tony. Well,
0: Um, you know, and I think like for for you and Eric, you know, you see people firsthand. You look into their eyeballs. You, you listen to them. Um, you're experiencing their lives as they tell it to you and their circumstances. And you get it. I feel like there's that, what Eric, what you were saying earlier, until people experience something for themselves, it's kind of hard for that light bulb to go off of. So, so Mark, as you're saying, you know, imagine, you know, women and their children sleeping in parks or in cars, you know, it's almost like um, this thing, like if people don't see it, um, it's almost hard for them to connect to it. So I guess Eric um, or Mark, um, is there an, an experience that you can describe that situational that, that uh, someone is going through that might be hard for people to hear, but maybe need to hear without using names or anything else like that? So that maybe there could be that, you know, better empathy or understanding for what people are going through that they might not interact with in their day to day lives,
1: I'll let you go here. Go ahead, man. All right. Well, I could. There's I, so one of like I said in the beginning, I love people. I find us fascinating. I love learning people's stories. Uh, one dream I also have is is to write a book one day where um, all these profound experiences with individuals, I I dedicate a chapter and I tell separate chapters until like. The middle and towards the end of the book, and will show how we all intertwined in one another's lives and how we're all just connected, Mm -hmm. and what affects one directly affects us all indirectly. That being said, there was a gentleman that uh, Mark sent to me, single dad, two kids. Uh, His wife had passed, and um, he did not know how to be a father, and he admitted that. And um, he ended up getting some death benefits. Um, Somehow, ended up wrapped up with a church. Um, this church from what the gentleman tells me convinced him to take all of it. And instead of purchasing a home, uh, purchased an RV, ended up living on the church lot, somehow losing the RV and being consigned to a shed with no running water or electricity, uh, or plumbing. With his two kids. Correct. So what does he do? He contacts the state and asks for help. Because he he says he doesn't know how to be a dad. Do you know? In the infinite wisdom of of our bureaucrats, as Mark calls them, did they brought them a porta potty? When he told me that, not only was I dumbfounded, but you talk about angry too. Um, And and so this is part of the excuse I used to stay sick for a long time through trying to escape uh, not only myself but my reality through the oblivion that drugs brought. Was I don't understand the suffering. I don't understand. Uh, why we do each other like we do. And so I don't want to be a part of that. I want to check out. I'm not a part of it. One thing I failed to realize is um, we're all a part of it, whether we know it or not. Mm -hmm. And whether I choose to believe I am, what I realized is I was actually fueling that suffering because I am a part of this world. And so adding suffering to myself is therefore adding suffering to the world. And when people say you can't change the world, you can it's uh, it's in a matter of our perspective. When I truly converge within my spirit, to change myself, I carry that change out into the world. I've changed the world. Uh, it's just uh, how we choose to look at it. But back to the story of this gentleman, he had been beat at every turn by every agency he had turned to, by every state, by everything that society says to do. He did, and by the time he got to me, he said, "You're not going to be able to help me." He had become calci, you know, uh, uh, like calcified, mm-hmm. like uh, hardened. Sure. But I didn't take it personally, and I remember looking him in his eyes and telling him, uh, "I can't wait to prove you wrong." Matter of <laughs> fact, let's go, let's go walk out to your van and let me meet your children, so I can look them in the eye and shake their hand and tell them we're going to create a home for y'all. And uh, actually, the home that I ended up getting them in was a brand new home. That was uh, actually uh, the only thing that was kept were the bones to that home. Everything was brand new. Wow! Stainless steel appliances, brand new flooring, paint, walls, drywall, electrical, plumbing. I mean, brand new home. And uh, I watched that gentleman turn from living in a shed with his two kids with no running water, no electricity, no plumbing. Um, and just having basically without his kids had given up on every aspect of himself and in, in society and humanity. Uh, but he kept his faith in God and he talked about that often. Um, but you know, I get texts and calls from him, and he just um he'll remind me, you know, of, of the impact and that I made. And after them being housed for a little while, going over there and seeing a different human being, seeing a guy that was looking for employment Mm -hmm. whose kids uh were just the the light in their eyes just the 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 energy shift from this gentleman it's like holy wow you're a different human being he's like yeah because i have a roof over my head i have security i have the dignity of being in a home and what that can do for an individual that can turn them into a different into a different person it's
0: transformation it's true transformation
2: That that same guy, I know he's t- speaking of, that same guy texted me too, Eric called he, He'll let me know, man, he really, he is beholden to you. Um, and I told him, I said, if I can tell you one thing about Eric, he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. So he is just very grateful. That was a sad situation. I've still got pictures. I can email them to you, Tony, where that guy was living. It, it, it was not... <laughs> It ain't anywhere I'm going to have my kids you know, and,
0: and, and it's interesting you brought up that story because I do remember uh, you bringing this to my attention, Mark, you know, and, and that vision yep. of him being in a shed with no running water, literally a bucket to use to go to the bathroom with two kids. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. And the humanity. That, and then, then you're, you know, pro, imagine he's processing the, you know, losing his wife uh, as well on top of all of this um you know being taken advantage of uh it just you know yeah i could see where somebody would break uh and not be in that great place
2: eric davis stepped in and opened them doors so i I tell him i I, you know i told amy in the past when working with eric he's stud man he boots on the ground (laughs) he get it so i hate to pester him I, i pester him so much but i tell you Eric is gracious and that, me and him has, has formed a good uh, friendship relationship. So, um, and I, I'm grateful um, to have Eric as a partner to work with because he does have a very big vision for good things for people um, within this community and outside of the community in future. In- so, um, and I, i'm just glad to call him for you and there
0: goes that word gracious you know and grace you know that I, mm-hmm. I think that just in this conversation eric i think that's a key factor in here is that you've uh so self-aware and uh open and honest and and, and allowing things to flow and uh, through you i think opens that door for a lot of grace to happen uh not just for you but for those that you touch you you've got so much here i'd like to make this two episodes you know, sure. You know, I think we've covered uh, a good amount here uh, for part one. I think I'd like to take a break here and then reopen this conversation into part two of, mm-hmm. of a conversation with you, Eric Davis. Does that sound good to you?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I told you uh, in our email before we actually uh, met. Is I can be long-winded and I speak from my spirit, well, from my, heart, and I just let it flow. I l-
0: I love this wind. It's 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 lighting up my sails. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say for episode one here. Thank you so much, Eric and Mark for sharing what you've shared until the next time, you know, onward and upward.
1: Thanks for listening to the independent life podcast brought to you by the center for independent living of north central Florida. If you like what you hear, please rate review and subscribe. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening, share this podcast and invite them to subscribe too. for questions, suggestions, or if you have a story you'd like to share please email us at cilncf.org at gmail.com or call us at 352-378-7474. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, support, advocate, and empower each other to live the independent life.